products to make this whole thing work in the realm of the real, right? Um, so how do we do it? I mean, it needs tools to make that power uh, of being your own source of financing come to fruition. So, you know, I am a certified financial planner. And when I was going through my CFP training, they put you through the, your paces, uh, Stephen. I mean, it's like, it's a four year, it took me about four years. And I say me, but it's actually me and my wife went through that together because it was her sacrificing as much as me to get the CFP credentials. Um, and I probably read up and studied over 450 financial products that are out there. Welcome to the e-commerce momentum podcast, where we focus on the people, the products and the process of e-commerce selling today. Here's your host, Steven Peterson. So you're looking for an advantage to help you woo a brand. Well, one of the tools that you can use is scope. You could check out their product and then check out their competitors and find the keywords their competitors are using and check out theirs and see that they're not and then say, okay, I've got an idea. Let me do this. Let me enhance your brand. That's the thing you can bring to the marketplace. When you can enhance the brand, you're going to win that account. So try it. You get a free trial, but sellerlabs.com forward slash scope. Use the code momentum and save 50 bucks. It's a free trial. Try it and see if you can enhance the brand. Add an important member to your Amazon team's solutions for e-commerce. Yep, solutions for e-commerce. Karen Locker's team helps manage our Amazon account. We pay full price just like everybody else. We've been using it for a couple of years, and the reason is is because of the results. We modify a lot of listings, especially in wholesale, because we're trying to enhance that listing, right? We're trying to help the brand. And so guess what? That's the type of service that we get from Solutions for E-Commerce. So it's solutions, the number four, ecommerce.com forward slash wholesale. And you can get $50 off her service. Go try it. Give it a shot and say, hey, could you help me get this listing in line? And guess what? That allows you to go out and develop relationships with wholesalers. And then the work gets done by Karen and her team. I can't recommend it enough. We use it. Again, we pay full price. Solutions, the number four, ecommerce dot com forward slash wholesale save 50 bucks get that important part of your team working for you it's time to get the listings right so what should you do you should get your images right right so amazing freedom has a program to help you do that and we've used them it's phenomenal what they can do you got to go look at this so you go to amazingfreedom.com forward slash photos and take a look at this examples of what you can do with an image you take and you give them some sample images um, some simple images and then what they do is they take and um, insert them with lifestyle uh, photos. And so all of a sudden, you're going to see an example of what a plain image looks like and then what it can be enhanced to. Why is this of value to you? Well, you're in the wholesale business. And guess what? You want to add value to the brand. And this is just a simple way to do it. They offer all those kinds of services. Scroll down to the bottom. If you really want somebody to help really improve this service and you want to bring value to that brand because you want exclusivity, the services uh, that they offer for um, listing enhancement will blow your mind. So, again, it's amazingfreedom.com forward slash photos. Take a look at what you can do for your brand that you're trying to get. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. This is episode 387, Mark Willis. Okay, this is definitely a little different. Um, and it's kind of a, a real current kind of thing. And it's the reason I had Mark on is I'm very intrigued by this philosophy of self banking. Um, and you know, it takes us a while to get there. We kind of establish a foundation why it's kind of becoming that issue. And I think the why is going to connect with a whole bunch of you. It connects with me. So even if it's just, I'm speaking to myself as somebody accused me to, of, uh, not long ago, um, then I am, um, I think there's several people who are struggling and trying to figure it out. And they get in this cycle and they borrow money, they pay it, they borrow money and they pay it, but they're not getting ahead, right? Their business is growing or it's not, but they're not putting more in their pocket. They're not putting more away. They're not establishing that emergency fund, right, that they speak of. So this is a possible idea. Um, and I'm not saying it's the only idea and I'm not saying it'll work for you, but I want to get you thinking about there are other options, and if you're not working on your business, as the e-myth says, then you're going to be in trouble because you're working only in your business. You're never going to get ahead. You're just going to keep grinding, grinding, grinding. The world's going to change, and then you're in trouble. So in this case, it's work on your business kind of um, podcast, and I think uh, our guest, Mark Willis, does such a great job with it. So let's get into the podcast. 
And welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. We're excited about today's guest. Uh, turns out we're kind of kindred spirits in our belief. Um, and what I'm very excited about, although this person's not a seller, uh, per se, like us, he has hundreds of clients that are sellers. So I always say go for best practices, right? You, you do something once, great. You talk to somebody else and they do it too. Between the two of you, you can figure out a better way. When you get a group of 100, you're going to figure out what's the best way. And so experience is the best, uh, uh, the best uh, way to, to growth and, and running a business. And I think Mark Willis is here to help us figure that out. Welcome, Mark. Glad to be here. Thanks so much, Stephen. Well, I really appreciate you being here. Let me just read a couple uh, things about Mark. Um, he's a certified financial planner. He's from Chicago. Uh, uh, he's a best-selling author, which I can't wait to hear about this book. Uh, he has a company called Lake Growth Financial Services. It's a financial firm in Chicago, um, and I'll have all these links in here. And you're a co-host of a podcast, not your average financial podcast, Correct. Correct. We like to keep the titles real simple and short. <laughs> yeah, not your average financial <laughs> podcast. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I mean, we're going to get to your story and all the rest of that jazz. But what does not your average financial podcast mean to you? Well, I think there's a lot that's wrong with average financial planning. Uh, I mean, we'll talk more about that later. But there's there's a lot of mainstream financial uh, pap out there, I'll, I'll call it that, uh, that simply isn't giving thought to the realities of the stock market or to future taxation taxation, or to uh, your individual financial needs. Uh, you know, hey, everybody, max out your 401k. Oh, wait, maybe taxes might be higher in the future. Is that a good idea if we're put maxing as, as much money into a tax-deferred 401k if we think, and most economists do, think that taxes might be higher when we go to take the money out. That's just one slice of, of the big picture of what we've, we've tried to uncover in our show. Things that may, that you may have been told are true, but might not actually be true. And so we just try to give folks the chance to think different about their money, their own personal economy and their own future. You know, as you're saying that I sit back and I think about, I had this discussion this morning and yesterday uh, related to employment. Now, our parents were, you know, go to work. Um, I, th I think, you know, I'm in my 50s. So my parents would have been World War II, after World War II, thereabouts. And so, you know, work was plentiful. Uh, you would go work in a manufacturing company because they were developed after the world war, right? And then you would go there and work for 30 years and get a retirement and then, you know, get a pension and... Uh, probably get health insurance for life or thereabouts at that time. All that stuff was relatively normal. And so when we were in high school and then, you know, those of us who went to college, we were led to believe that's the path you want to take because that's still the path that was probably going on in the 70s and 80s. And then it changed, right? And so that belief that we all had Right? Kind of what you're saying about, hey, you believe this tax thing is the right thing, put away in a 401k, all that stuff's going to you know, benefit you in the future. Those things have changed. The world has evolved. And I don't think a lot of people have considered, we're all in our 50s, that's, we're all struggling to figure that out. Hence the reason we're all pursuing side businesses and then trying to develop into real businesses. Um, I didn't think about taxes that way. I mean, I still would believe that max out your 401k is the right answer. And now you're saying, hey, Steve, Taxes could be higher, likely higher, and especially if you look at the election stuff that's going on right now, they're talking 70, 80 percent, you know, and, and, and so mm -hmm. it's completely different thinking. I mean, it's like this whole generation has changed in, or needs to change in thinking. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. Where was it written in uh, the sky or on two tablets of stone that uh, retirement meant including a 401k? I mean, the 401k isn't actually old enough to retire. <laughs> uh, it got its start in 1981. That really? was the first issued 401k. Now, what was going on and how did people save for their future before 1981? Somebody had to do something to make sure that they lived um, and had a paycheck that lasted as long as they, they did. And what I love about the e-commerce space is one example is that it provides uh, some interesting side hustle or even replacement income that you can uh, take into your future years, uh, even if you're not punching a clock at the day job. Uh, so that's just... Uh, you know, I guess it's a reminder that uh, just because things are the way they are today 
doesn't mean that they've always been that way or even that today's way is the best way. Interesting. So in it, fact, I'll say I'll say one more thing about this. Sure. Ted Benna, the the gentleman who discovered the salary deferral and election of the 401k and the tax code. So his name is Ted Benna. He is sort of known as the father of the 401k. Well, uh, about two years ago, he came out and said that the 401k is a monster and it should be destroyed. And we should start all the way over with helping our nation prepare for its future. Um, he said it's been a total train wreck and uh, it's become something he could he, he wished had had, uh, you know, if he could do it all over again, he'd point people in another direction, which I found to be fascinating. Yeah, that's uh, I guess, you know, they had the best intentions, I'm sure. Um, but it's the world has changed. And again, all this stuff changes. Yeah. They don't call Mark and say, hey, what do you think? The world just keeps changing right. without your input, doesn't it, Mark? And nothing against the 401k. It has a place alongside the overall financial picture that somebody has. Uh, it, you know, after looking at your entire uh, financial picture, you might be a good fit for the 401k. So it's not like there's nobody's out there is a good fit for it. Every financial vehicle has a place. But I think it's just been uh, painted with too broad a brush. And uh, not to pick on the 401k alone, there's there's other things in our podcast, for example, that we get into that really touches on the things we thought to be so that just aren't so Interesting. Uh, about our financial financial lives. When you look at the client, so now you, what you told me in the pre-call was basically that you have hundreds of clients that sell on Amazon or e eBay, whatever. They're e-commerce sellers, right? Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So you've seen a lot. You've heard a lot. Um, any idea what the demographic of your client base is that are e-commerce sellers? Are they younger, older? I mean, is it all across the gamut? Well, you know, I think it is sort of all across the gamut. I do see a couple of um, bunches, you know, the folks that are just starting out in life and wanting to do the FIRE movement, which is short for financial independence, retire early. And they're really, you know, pumping a lot of their efforts into quitting their day job and using passive in income streams like from e-commerce businesses to support their lifestyle so they can retire at 35 years old or whatever. And then there's another group of people who have figured out that the 401k wasn't all it's cracked up to be. They've gone through a major market crash or two since the year 2000. Uh, and they've had a couple of un, uh, unexpected emergencies, a disability, a death in the family, whatever. And uh, they have realized that they are just not ready for this thing we all call retirement. And so they are using Amazon or eBay or whatnot to supplement their existing uh, savings for their retirement future. And so those are the two sort of, uh, there's everyone along that spectrum, but that's sort of the two groups I see the most. When um, I was thinking about that, does do 100% of your clients in their lifetime run into an emergency of some sort outside of their control? Well, one in four of us will have a debilitating disability that will last over a year that we won't expect. Now, can you imagine going a year without being able to get to your job and earn a paycheck? No, that would I be mean, a problem. That's, and over almost 60%, six zero, 60% of people are forced into retirement early, uh, either due to them being laid off or because of a family member's health situation. And so we're we're not always the one in control of when the income stops. Uh, and sometimes retirement doesn't mean a golden watch. Sometimes it means a bunch of medical bills uh, that forced you into retirement early. And, and unfortunately, we just can't plan for those unforeseen circumstances. So I have a, a personal story. My brother-in-law, 55, uh, was just his position is being eliminated from BP. It's a massive oil company, bought Castrol. He worked for Castrol. And him and 20% of the workforce is being eliminated, not because of their work, not because of anything. It's just the world is changing, right? Completely. So he planned on working there for, you know, 10 more years till 65 or 62, whatever it was. And now his world is changed. And it, it's interesting. I mean, they're making it right. They're doing a severance and all that kind of jazz. They've done the best they can. But his whole world that he had planned out and, you know, they were ready is now upside down. And that's happening. I mean, well, you tell me, how often do you see that? Well, I'd, I'll just say this. Americans in general, they're in trouble. I mean, what was mo once manifest destiny is now festering debt. Uh, what was once the American dream is now a, a major mortgage drain on their income, where once we had a ton of savings ready to go for any recession or depression. Now we have major credit card bills. Uh, I'll tell you a quick uh, statistic or two. Since 1940, 
the American savings rate has gone from 27% of our income to just 2.6% of our income as of 2018. And according to the U.S. Commerce Bureau, we've gone from servicing only 11% of our income servicing debt to this year, we're going to cross 36% of our income service just servicing the interest payments on our debt as an average American household. So let that sink in. I mean, we've moved from a nation of savers, saving almost 30% of our income, to a nation of debtors spending almost a third of our income uh, on interest to banks, credit cards, finance companies, payability, uh, Amazon lending. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Mortgage companies. I mean, how are we going to ever get to a place of financial independence if we have this vortex of debt that's siphoning uh, our lifestyle uh, to cover these nice things that we enjoy, uh, you know, cars, mortgages, student loans, when we don't have enough money even to cover flat tires, leaking roofs, the kids, co kids college fund, medical emergencies, retirement. I mean, 2.6% of your income, if that's the average savings rate in this country, will not cover <laughs> all of those things I just said. Uh, well, I'm just thinking just about 2.6% no of what? What's a household income? $75,000 or something like that? Yep, something like that. So, I think the average is a bit less, but yeah, around there. Okay, so what's 2.6% of that? Well, good question. Let's uh, let's do the math on that really I'm quick. I'm not doing math this early in the morning right now. I haven't had my 15th cup of coffee yet. Just, yeah, just shy of $2,000 a year. So $2,000 a year, people are putting away... And they think they're on it. They're like, hey, I'm saving two grand. It's probably better than their neighbor. But two grand is not going to equal uh, 30 or 40 grand, whatever you need at 65. And then you're 66 and then you're 67, right? Correct. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, All right. I so mean, <laughs> most 55-year-olds have less than one year's salary saved for retirement. Mark, you're depressing me. I must admit, I'm uh, I'm a little down right now. However, take, take another sip of coffee. It'll be all right. <laughs> okay, so let's now let's, one of the best go one ahead. of the best hopes in our economy, I believe, uh, in the last decade is the rise of the entrepreneur. I think uh, you know she's become the symbol of freedom, uh, the the ability to rise above the ashes of the Great Recession. You know, I think that you know in in terms of just the statistics, the Global Entrepreneurship and Development Index. I did some research on this. Uh, says that we are raise, uh, six six percent of Americans now, which is the highest it's ever been. Six point zero two percent of Americans are working as their own boss for their primary income, and I think uh, e-commerce solutions are some of the best ways to do that. Well, let's talk about that. Do you see? Is there are there statistics on what e-commerce people are saving as opposed to general employed? No, I don't have that information, but that'd be an interesting study you and I should use sometime. Yeah, it'd be interesting because uh, there are way many more ways to save as an entrepreneur than there are as an employee, correct? I mean, I, I, right. I think, you know, there's a traditional IRA, there's a Roth IRA, and there's 401ks and general savings, but you're kind of limited. Um, as a self-employed, there are lots of corporate ways to do um, a lot of saving. So I guess maybe we should move into that because as I think about e-commerce sellers, I mean, one of the, one of the challenges that, you know, we talked about in the pre-call was this is a cash heavy business, meaning that I buy in physical inventory and it's expensive and you got to buy volume and you got to generally right. pay up front. You generally don't get terms anymore like you used to. And sometimes you can, but then that's debt, right? And so with this type of business, how, how do the outliers that you've seen manage it? I mean, are most of them borrowing money, financing the debt, getting their inventory in, selling it as fast as they can so they can pay the debt, they can wash, rinse, repeat? Is that general or is there a – I mean, oh, you tell me. Well, I, I do think that, again, the the lure of the being your own boss, being your entrepreneur, entrepreneurial adventure – uh, is phenomenal and a lot of fun to watch, uh, you know, and, and oftentimes the, the passion to be your own uh, boss is so attractive that we typically put all of our chips on the table, you know, uh -huh. whereas, you know, me as a certified financial planner, I would tell you to diversify. Most entrepreneurs are putting all of their money into their business. It's a one asset portfolio, if you think of it that way. Uh, so, you know, if given the choice to put money into an IRA, or to put money back into inventory where you're getting double-digit returns possibly in your business. You know, most people are going to forestall the IRA or whatnot because they say, you know, I can control my assets. I can control my portfolio. 
uh, when I am the owner and director of those assets. If I if I'm the boss, if I can be the the um, the one managing the investments, you know, your inventory. Uh, why would I put money over there on Wall Street where I can't see it, can't control it, and someone else is taking a fee from me, whether my market portfolio is up or down? So that's mm. typically what I hear most uh, entrepreneurs say. And what I do hear them say as well is, Mark, you know, I've got all these expenses. I've got, you know, more expensive car payment than ever. My student loans or my kids' student loans are higher than ever. I just can't save like I want to. Again, the statistic was in 1940, we were saving a third of our income. Today, it's 2.6%. So what most people tell me, and not so many words, Stephen, is I can't save that much. So I'm going to have to save a lot less, and I'm going to have to hope and pray that my rate of return will be higher. And hence comes day trading, you know, speculation, uh, 401ks, IRAs, and, and the like. Uh, and, and that just hasn't been the pathway uh, that the greatest generations of our nation's past, when we did have enough and we did save enough, uh, that's not how they got to financial freedom. It was it was through other means, for sure. Well, let's talk about that because I'm sitting there thinking about you know, um, what were were that generation that was saving thirty percent? Did they have um, big mortgages on their home? I mean, were they living in the half million dollar houses or were they living in the thirty thousand oh, dollar houses? Right. I I think our listeners would probably know the answer to that. Yeah. yeah. There's you know we we go through about five houses in our lifetimes today on average, whereas they would spend a small chunk of change and live in that house for the rest of their life, small as it might be, right? Yeah, it, it's funny. We had that discussion uh, with someone, and I said, oh, remember the size of the bedroom that we had bunk beds in, and there were three in a room <laughs> at that point, you know, and you could, you know, it was so small, you know, but somehow right. we lived because we we were never in there. We were always outside, right? That just doesn't happen today. Um, how about car payments back then? Did the parents have car payments? No. No. No, it didn't exist, yeah. And are those two the number one and number two expenses that families have today? I'd put credit cards and student loans above car payments, but really? otherwise, yes. Really? Um, wow. So it's it's home, student loads, credit cards, car payments. Um, when you're seeing people like that, especially entrepreneurs, uh, business people, because I'm, I'm sure you, know, you see their numbers. You've got hundreds of these people. Is that burden that personally, because we see people come into the business all the time. Steve, tell me how I can make $100,000 selling on Amazon, but I need to make it by next week because I can't afford to leave my $100,000 lifestyle because I created a hundred. I mean, and in fairness, they created this $100,000 lifestyle because they had a big job and their wife had a big job and, you know, the kids went to school and they had a new car and they had all these other things. So I can, we can all see how they got there and I'm not judging them because been there. I got it. I understand it. All of us. Yeah. No judgment. However, they're saying, I don't like this anymore. I'm looking, you know, because I have to sell my soul to that place or places. And I want to get out of that circle because it doesn't look like it's it's not sustainable long term. I'm going to have a heart attack or whatever before then. So how do I get out? But I need a hundred grand because this is where I'm at. Yeah, you're well, you're speaking to, I think, all of our listeners here today. And uh, it actually speaks to a financial law that was uh, put out there by um, uh, Northcote Parkinson. C. Northcote Parkinson said, expenses rise to meet income. Expenses mm-hmm. rise to meet income. So that happens on a personal level. Every time you get that pay raise, watch your ex- watch your lifestyle creep up to just meet it or exceed it. And that happens on the business level too. Uh, the banker is the foil of most unsuccessful entrepreneurs. You know, banks are the Wait, most- Say that again. Say that again. Uh, banks are the foil of the unsuccessful entrepreneur, meaning banks are the ones that uh, are the vultures on the backs of the entrepreneurs, chasing them down and squeezing them out of the profits that they work so hard for. I mean, again, if 34% of the, um, of the revenue of your business is going to a bank, if time is money, what is a third of your day? You know, what is a third of your day? Uh, more businesses are dying before they're even given the chance to live. You know, they're still paying off the $1.3 trillion of student loan debt, uh, which is now, Stephen, bigger than credit card debt in this country. And I've even met senior citizens who are using their Social Security checks and having the Social Security check garnished to pay back their student loans. Uh, So that is a major problem. But banks, of course, for the last 5,000 years, 
uh, have been the most profitable industry in the history of all mankind. You know, think about that statement for a moment. You know, if, if you aren't already successful in your e-commerce business, maybe just start a bank instead, because it's a great way to make a lot of profits. <laughs> so, you know, I think you and I would agree that, you know, if you're not in a financial position, this is not a great business to leap into, right? Not to just cut your losses where you're at and, and jump right head on into. And mm -hmm. But to be fair, there are people who have done it. And that, to me, they're an outlier, and they just, they have that. So I'm not one of those mm -hmm. guys. So I want to speak right. to the guys who are kind of more like me or ladies who are more like me, just that uh, where, to me, and I say this all the time, I think slow and steady is the way to win. However, I'm never going to be a $5 million seller. I'm not interested in being a $5 million seller, and I know a whole bunch of my listeners are, and they're amazing, but they're outliers again. And so... My advice to everyone all the time is stay in your job, you know, build this off on the side, and eventually you get to a point where you're making more money than your job, and then you can make better choices, and then you can build your lifestyle. If you would build your lifestyle, this is Steve's opinion, you adjust your lifestyle to support it so you still have the ability to have, you know, um, risks covered and that kind of thing. How about what you're seeing? I mean, is that is that kind of the financial planner's advice that you're giving to people? Well, it's, it's the very first rule of any financial plan, and that is to live within your means. And before you recommend any strategies or financial products that help people toward a goal, uh, the very first and most important rule is to master Parkinson's law, which is to live within your means. You know, if expenses rise to meet your income, uh, if, if, uh, if nature abhors a vacuum, so to speak, with your expenses, then we've got to find a way to live within your means or to increase your means. I well, mean, well, let's stay there a second. So stay there a second. So tell me what that means. So to live within your means. So before Steve gets a raise and I was living on $100 a week, we'll make this really stupid, and I'm going to get a $10 raise, but I'm living on $100 a week comfortably. Don't raise to $110 level, Steve. Stay at 100 but and but you just said that everybody's income or their expenses creep up to meet that. How do you stop that? Yeah, well, it's it's about living weird, and it's about uh, paying yourself first, and you know, putting away for the future before you see it, uh, so that you can be able to make the calculated and necessary risks to grow your business when everyone else is going through the next major recession or the banks cut the lines of credit, and you've got big piles of cash that you can grow your business in or retire comfortably. I mean, it's it's uh it's all about uh, learning to to do to pull the only two levers you have real control over before we get into financial products or strategies the only two things you can really do are you know cut expenses or raise income and i recommend folks do both i've met people who squeeze those pennies so hard that they crack uh, and when really they should be out there getting about eight more streams of passive income and and 10xing their income and i've met other people who are you know, making great income strides with their business, but it's become a Frankenstein that's eating all the profits and not allowing them to take anything home for the family. So it really is kind of two sides of the same coin there. Uh, we, we can, we, you know, we, we can lower expenses, but we also have to find ways to invest in yourself since you are your own greatest asset. But they compete, don't they? Those two statements compete, right? Lowering expenses, especially in business. I'm lowering expenses. That means I'm cutting cutting costs, um, but I need money to fuel my growth. So there is a there is a competition there, correct? I don't know if it's a competition. It's more of uh, a, an, a a parallel mindset. So one mindset is to think smart and to to give every dollar a job, hmm. because I believe unemployed dollars go to work for somebody else. Okay. <laughs> You sound like uh, so, Dave Ramsey right there. Yeah, That's funny. Yeah. It really but, is. But uh, if you don't give that dollar a job and only give it one job, but if you don't give that dollar a job, he's going to go work for somebody else. Now, on the other side of things, if you only have $4 to your name, uh, you're not going to be able to, to thrive and, and survive uh, when things get fierce. And you know that um, e-commerce e solutions and strategies are a, is a fiercely competitive industry. So it's going to mean thinking bigger, like taking the lid off the jar of your own mindset. Don't have a limited income mindset. You know, put a zero at the end of what your income goal is this year. Just Ooh. try that for a minute. Just put Ooh. a zero at the end of your goal for the year and see how it feels. Uh, even if you don't reach that goal, what if you just got 50% of the way there? 
that's an incredible increase over what you made last year. Uh, so it is two parallel tracks, I believe. Okay. And so we're going to, we're going to break them down. One of the things as you were talking, I was thinking about the story of Warren Buffett. And I always remember this, that when the economy's going down the tubes, he's buying because he sits on a boatload of cash and he's in a position. So when the buying price is finally the right price for him, he's in a position to buy. And that's kind of your advice, right? Is to be in a position to take advantage of the market when the market is declining or down, correct? That's right. He says uh, something, I'll paraphrase this, but uh, when it's when the tide goes out, you, could, you figure out who was wearing pants. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm excited about this because one of the things that we, you know, again, you came through a PR company to me and most of them I never look at, but I, the thing that attracted me was self-banking and that's very attractive to me. There's a, you have a belief that you can finance your own yourself, but I guess that means also your business, correct? Am I, am I correct in saying, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Somebody accused yeah. me of that leading, somebody accused me of leading the, leading the guests down my view, not their view. So I don't want to accuse you of that, but that's what I'm reading. Yeah. 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 You, I believe, I believe that we are already in the banking business. Hmm. We all uh, have two businesses that we're a part of. One is your, your e-commerce business. One is the banking business. And I believe it's sort of like Neo in the matrix. Uh, when he woke up to realize the entire human population was pug plugged into some machine, he could not go back and unsee that, you know, uh, and not only did he immediately break free from his constraints, uh, but he spent the rest of his life uh, calling people to freedom and waking them up from their own enslavement. You know, I believe that if you're loaded up with bank debt, credit cards, lines of credit, student loan mortgages, you are part of the banking matrix. You are a slave to the banking matrix. And, you know, I feel like even folks that are paying cash for things, you know, even folks that pay cash for everything are still wrapped up in the cartel of the banking industry. And we can talk about that. Yeah, I'm interested in that because what, what you're saying, and I, and I think I, I wrote down this question, I want to know what banks do right that we can do either personally or maybe personally and in business. So what do banks do right? Because you don't, I mean, you do hear once in a blue moon of a bank getting into trouble, but generally, you know, it's yeah. far and few in between. They look, they, they keep remodeling their buildings. They look so much nicer than my house, oh, my yeah. living room. So what do they do right that we can apply in our personal life and then also in our business? Well, if you think about it, uh, when, when you put a thousand dollars in a bank, uh, in a bank down the street, uh, you've got a thousand dollars on your deposit account, Right. But how much does the bank leave on their books? I, I don't know. Uh, well, according to FDIC, the big banks have to keep only 10% of their deposits, of your deposit money on their books. What, what happens to the other $900? You put in 1000 bucks. they don't keep 1000 bucks on their books. Where does that um, other $900 go. Well, I assume there's a little bit of money that goes to administration and overhead because it's a building. It's got insurance just like we do in our warehouse. They have insurance. They have workman's comp. They have people taking vacations and all that jazz. But I'm sure that's a small percentage. I assume the rest gets loaned out to other people. There you go. Yeah. So, you know, if, uh, if you could kind of imagine that $900 out of your thousand went to the guy behind you in line. Now, how much of the bank's money was skin in the game there? Zero. 100, 100, well, oh, if they only loan 900, yeah, I guess they aren't loaning 1,000. Okay, so zero. So they have no... Yeah. So right now, so the lesson there is what? Well, so I, I put $1,000 into the savings account at the bank. I think my $1,000 is there. It's not. Maybe 10%. And actually, credit unions are more like 2% is left on the books. The other $900 is lent out to the guy behind me in line. How much interest did the depositor make for putting his money at the bank. Oh, maybe 0.01%, a couple of pennies. Now, how much interest did the borrower get charged for the money that I put in the bank? Well, maybe if it's, if it's right? commercial, yeah, if it's commercial, it's LIBOR plus or something like that. Yeah, so it's 10, 12, 14% in, in a lot of Amazon's case. Can we even wrap our minds around the margins there? I mean, if it's, let's, let's imagine that a bank was selling hammers or or t-shirts. You know, if I could buy something for, uh, actually zero pennies and I just used somebody else's, um, in inventory and then I flipped it and gave it to the person behind him in line for a hundred thousand percent 
uh, as much as it cost me to, to pay the guy who gave me that hammer. That's an incredible business model uh, that anybody should be jealous of, right? Yeah. I mean, that's We're inventory people. We it. buy low and sell high. This is our world, that's right. but that's nowhere right. near those levels. <laughs> that's incredible, right? Yeah. So it's important to realize that as a saver, you are participating with banks in that nightmare of what's, and the technical word is fractional reserve banking. Fractional reserve banking. You guys can Google that if you want to learn more. Uh, this is not some, you know, tinfoil hat. This is something that's been on the books and on the law for the last hundred years. And the, the reason why there's inflation in the money supply uh, and why you see the cost of milk going up every year is because of fractional reserve banking. Uh, and so when we save money, we're punished because we're not getting any interest on our savings. And there's a reason why. You know, it's not on accident. So, so again, I want to get this. I want somebody to take action on this. So in that scenario, the banks, uh, you know, taking your money and lending 90% of it out at a unbelievable rate. So what can I do as an individual or in my business to get that same benefit? What's well, your advice? So, again, I think, you know, is there a red pill? Is there a red pill off of this matrix? How do we unplug ourselves from the banking system? Uh, you know, I, I think obviously we're going to still have a checking account. You know, we're still going to work in the real world. Um, you know, but I think like a judo fighter, you can use the weight and the strength of your opponent to your advantage. You know, what if you could become your own source of financing? What if you could bank on yourself? What if you could become your own banker? What if you could play the game that banks play and use your own money as a source of financing for yourself and actually pay yourself that interest rather than pay it to some other bank or lose interest when you spend cash and you pay cash for your inventory or your cars or your vacations or your kid's college or anything else. You know, what if you could loan yourself that cash I'm that in. you needed for your business? All right. You led right. me there. You got me to the gate. I'm in. So All let right. me into park. Tell us how to do that. Because I, I mean, it, everybody listening to this is like, of course, we want to be in this position. But Steve, we got to buy inventory. I need to buy more inventory. The only way I can grow is if I keep buying inventory and I get faster and more and more and more and more and more. Right. Right. I mean, I've, I've made some big claims here. And obviously, your listeners have a business to run. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I don't think we're quite done yet. I mean, if, if I told you that you already have the option to fire your banker and you already have that within your power and you don't have to wait for Congress to pass some sort of law and you don't have to wait for some finance, new finance regulatory committee to come on board. I mean, we are already able to bank on ourselves, And this is a concept that helps you, I believe, on the journey to becoming financially free. In fact, I think it's the most crucial uh, aspect or concept one can take. It's almost like the small hinge that swings the big door. I mean, can you imagine if your life and your business had a big pool of contingency capital ready to deploy when, you know, inventory came along that you couldn't refuse or life's emergencies came along? I mean, that's, that's really what we're looking at here. If you could become your own source of financing and build for yourself a source of capital by which you could borrow from yourself and pay yourself back on your own terms. I mean, that would change the game for most business owners, uh, including e-commerce. Well, it, it, it would. And, it, you know, your example, again, of having that $1,000 in the bank and getting .001, I'm never going to gain in that scenario. I mean, a .001 of a million dollars is still right. almost nothing versus a million, right? So, so there's no possibility of that working. So now I'm ready to find out a way that I can make more than that in interest and mitigate my risk. I'm definitely interested in that. Great, great. So, I mean, it does take... The, the concept takes tools, right? I mean, as nice as Tiger Woods' swing is, and he did pretty well last weekend, mm -hmm. uh, as a time of our recording, he won the Masters last weekend. Uh, as good as a swing is, you need clubs to get the ball down the field. So you need tools, you need products, uh, you need financial products to make this whole thing work in the realm of the real, right? Um, so how do we do it? I mean, it needs tools to make that power uh, of being your own source of financing come to fruition. So, you know, I am a certified financial planner. And when I was going through my CFP training, they put you through the, your paces, uh, Stephen. I mean, it's like, it's a four year, it took me about four years. And I say me, but it's actually me and my wife went through that together because it was her sacrificing as much as me to get the CFP credentials. Um, and I probably read up and studied over 450 financial products that are out there. And then what they make you do is they make you combine those products into combinations. 
to sort of see how they work together. So, for example, a hedge fund is different than a savings account, right? Where you keep your money will make it act different. You know, real estate is different than a 401k, right? Does this make sense so far? Yeah, in make, terms it of makes perfect sense. As I'm sitting here risk. thinking about it, they, they're similar, right? Because they have similar traits, but then they're different, right? I get that. Correct. Yeah. So there's no perfect financial instrument out there. Uh, but, you know, what we'd need to do the banking strategy would need to have a few characteristics. And so this is sort of my checklist. Uh, your listeners might have a similar or different one. But for my business, because I'm a business owner as well, I needed a tool that I could keep in my back, ha- back house here that I could use that would be safe. I needed the money to be safe. I wanted that money to grow on a predictable schedule. I wanted that money to be accessible to me and liquid for any reason. I didn't want any red tape uh, to get access to my money or penalties or taxes to get access to my money. I also wanted it to be flexible in how much I could pump into it when I had good years and how little I could put into it in the down years. I wanted to be able to avoid hefty taxes and fees and commissions. I wanted to keep it super effective and lean for the business owner needs that my clients had and that I had for my own business. And, you know, I wanted to somehow have the interest that's paid uh, to me to grow even if I liquidate the money. Okay, so I needed that, that feature. And I'll say that again. I wanted somehow for my money to grow for me whether I access the money or not. Because that's the problem with paying cash. If you think about that, Stephen, if I've got $30,000 in a savings account, uh, you know, earning, let's, let's give it a generous 5% interest, and I withdraw that money to go buy a car, how much interest am I now earning on the money I withdrew out of the savings? Yeah, nothing, right? Well, nothing, yeah. And it's broken the compound growth of that money for the rest of my life. I'll never see that money ever again. It's now in the car, right? So somehow I needed something that would allow my money to keep growing for me on a predictable schedule, even if I touched that money and spent it on my cars or in my, in, in your audience case, uh, Amazon inventory or their kid's college or whatnot. So does a tool fit all those uh, requirements? Like, and, and also, by the way, is that financial tool a legal financial tool? Uh, <laughs> that was sort of my it question. It sounds like a unicorn that it doesn't exist. Sounds it. Right. Yes. And I would agree with you. Um, the answer, uh, thank goodness is yes. I, I looked into a, and of all things, it's a little known variation of 160 year old financial product, uh, dividend paying whole life insurance of all things, but it's modernized. Unlike old fashioned whole life, uh, it's modernized for maximum cash accumulation. So it's not the stuff that Dave Ramsey talks about. It's not the kind of thing that you hear Susie Orman talk about. This is about building up a asset on your balance sheet for your business that can do all the things that I just mentioned. Okay. So I'm intrigued. Um, you know, having sold life insurance a million years ago, we used to sell similar kind of things. Uh, oh God, what was it? Uh, oh, it's been so long. My mind doesn't go that far back. But I remember some of those kind of things existing, or at least uh, they they kind of existed back then. So you're saying now there is a strong product out there that somebody could take and invest in that would protect their business, because that's what life insurance really does, right? And so you could protect your business, but use it as an investment vehicle, and then be able to borrow against the cash value, I guess. Is that kind of the premise? Correct. And just for your listeners who... um maybe just haven't heard of this before, there are kind of two types of life insurance out there. There's the kind you rent and the kind you own. Mm-hmm. Term insurance is sort of what most of us were taught. And in fact, myself as well, going through the uh, licensing and my CFP, they really say, you know, buy term and invest the rest. Mm-hmm. Buy term and invest the rest. Well, that's an interesting strategy. And by the way, that phrase came from somebody who owned a term life insurance company and mutual funds, uh, mutual fund company. So that's an interesting story. Uh, but Term insurance is like renting an apartment. It gets more expensive every birthday you have. It's like the landlord raising rent on you. And there's no equity, there's no money in the term insurance. It's just like renting an apartment. Um, Stephen, by contrast, you probably recall from your days, uh, dividend-paying whole life insurance is more like owning a home. So you have this death benefit, yes, uh, but more important to our conversation, you have the equity or your cash value in your policy. So it's growing and building up on a guaranteed schedule every single year, no matter what's happening in the stock market or your uh, Amazon business or whatnot. 
And on top of those guarantees, the insurance company throws uh, dividends on top of the guaranteed increase in your cash. So every single year, you're getting an increase in your money. Imagine your net worth growing on a guaranteed basis every year. Uh, and on top of that, those dividends are thrown in. And most of the companies that I would recommend doing this with have paid a dividend without fail for over 100 years. One of the challenges I remember, you know, back to my days, um, was that the fees would eat up the increases in gain. What is that? What effect does that have on on the you know the guaranteed? I mean, because what you're talking is about a guarantee. It's not an annuity, correct? Correct. Okay, it's not an annuity. So it's a guaranteed uh, dividend. I guess the dividend would be the only thing that's guaranteed, right? Yeah, there's a guaranteed increase in your cash value, whether there's dividends or not. On oh, top of the guarantee. Uh, there's a, I think of it like icing on the cake. If there's profitability from the insurance company, they'll throw profits or dividends on top of your uh, guarantee. It's a, you know, just an additional return of your premium that grows on top of what's been guaranteed to you each and every year. So even if the insurance company loses money, you are guaranteed more cash this year than you had last year. And this, the fees, the commissions, it's a great comment. Old fashioned whole life insurance I would not recommend for the banking strategies we've been talking about here. Old-fashioned whole life insurance had had a big fat death benefit, which gave a fat commission to the agent and zero cash value to you or me. Uh, but the way we're describing this is we're squeezing down, cutting the death benefit down as small as we can make it, cutting the commissions down by about 70% because the death benefits where the expenses lie. And if you can pack in more money into the cash value portion of this policy, that's just more liquid funds that you can use as a financial asset uh, on day one. So uh, that gives you the ability to use the cash value, uh, even using it as a uh, line of credit to your business, uh, and it reduces the expenses quite considerably. You know, I'm looking at a site called topholelife.com. So if anybody wants to go look at it, topholelife.com. And it has historical dividend rates for whole life insurance back from the 80s. And it goes all the way through. And I'm looking at it names, three, six companies. And they definitely have declined for sure, from the mm -hmm. 90s and that. However, according to this, and Steve doesn't know that this is real, but it seems real, um, there's still around 6% pretty much for all those companies. Is that kind of what you're That's seeing right. in the last several years? That's right. Yep, yep. And you can kind of compare this to other cash equivalents in your portfolio. Yeah, my, my, my savings account is not giving me 6%, but I remember a day yeah. when it was, uh, right. Mark. I mean, I mm -hmm. remember, not, I'm not that old, but I'm serious. I really remember a day when that was true. Right. Well, there you go. So this is as liquid, not quite, but almost as liquid as a money market account or a savings account, certainly more liquid than a 401k or a CD. And so you, you need a tool for your business that's accessible cash. Cause you know, if your listeners are like most of my clients in this space, you need money for inventory purchases. Q4 comes every year, right? Every year. Uh, yeah. So, you know, imagine having a big pool of money growing at uh, the rates you just mentioned. And even if you access that money, and this is one of the key features that only whole life insurance that, I, that uses what's known as a non-direct recognition life insurance policy loan. Now that's a mouthful, but the good news here is that it gives you the, uh, gives your money the opportunity to do two things at once, just like what a bank can do, right? Uh, so imagine if you had, for example, Stephen, $100,000 in a boring savings account, just a normal boring savings account. And let's say in our attempt to be generous that the savings account was earning you 5% a year. So I don't know any savings account doing that right now. But if your listeners do, please let me know. <laughs> but if at the end of the year you left that $100,000 alone, you'd have earned 5% or $5,000 for the privilege of not touching your cash. Okay. With me on everything so far? Right. Very generous, right? 5000 that's a perfect world. Okay. Right. And of course, the bank would be loaning most of that out at 10% at least, keeping only a fraction on their books and making just massive profits. Okay. If you were to take $30,000 out of your money, out of your savings account, well, you'd only be earning interest on what was left, 70000 bucks, right? Mm -hmm. And the earned interest wouldn't be $5,000 anymore. It'd only be, what is that, 3500 bucks for right. the year. Mm-hmm. 
Now, with these policies, if the policy had that non-direct feature I mentioned, your policy, let's say that you borrowed $30,000 out off your $100,000 in cash value in the policy, you'd receive the same growth and dividends on the full $100,000 as if you had not taken a loan against the policy. And that's how you can take back the banking function and bring it in-house for but your But there has to be business. a fee, right? I mean, I'm assuming that the, the life insurance company has some kind of fees for me to take that money out, correct? Correct, yeah. They don't charge a fee, but they have a loan interest. Okay. Now, let's talk about that for a minute because this is really cool. Uh, for the nerds, uh, I, I'll, I'll warn those in advance, there's going to be a few numbers that I'll share here. Uh, but if you can walk through this with me, it could change your business. So think this through for a minute. Uh, why would the insurance company offer loans? Well, has to go. It, you have to go back 100 years to figure out why, but the short answer is they wanted to help keep the policy in force. And before loans on policies were available, you know, Americans would just have to cash out, close down the whole life policy, uh, and if they ever needed money in their lifetime. So uh, a long time ago, 100 years ago, they instituted loans against your life insurance. It's not unlike a HELOC on your, on your home. Uh, and you can borrow from the policy, but if the policy is owned by a stock company, like a life insurance company that's owned on the stock exchange, the the profits or the interest that you're charged on your policy loan go to the owners of the company, which are the folks on Wall Street, right? The folks that own shares in your XYZ publicly traded insurance company. Does that all make sense so far? Yep. Yep. I'm with you. Now, if the company is a mutually owned life insurance company, mutually owned means owned by you and me and the other policyholders. So it's like so a cooperative almost. Cooperative, exactly. It's yep. a okay. great way to look at it. So if I'm charged interest, uh, and by the way, it's very low rates, it's below market rates, over a four-year period, the typical interest APR is about 1.9% on policy loans. For, so it's pretty now, low. No, I just want to pause for a second there. 1.9%, and I could be borrowing it for my business, and I, I'm assuming you're going to get to the point how to do that, but but that— correct. I could do that versus the LIBOR plus that normal Correct. businesses go to. Okay. All right. Correct. They charge a 5% simple interest rate, which over four years works out to a 1.9% APR. 1.9% is pretty darn low for most businesses that I can find um, these days. <laughs> yeah. Now, I've... that's really good, but that's still a cost to financing, to accessing money, right? Mm -hmm. So why would I do that? Why wouldn't I just pay cash for my inventory or my next car or whatever else? The reason is my money in the policy is still growing as if I had not touched that money because I literally didn't. I used the insurance company's general fund and I left my cash value alone. It's still earning the guaranteed growth and the dividends on top of that as if I had not touched that cash. And you just read the dividend rates. Uh, those are growing on a compound basis. And so the fancy word here is arbitrage, right? Right. I'm that's still that, getting. That's growth. our whole world. We all, everybody yeah. knows arbitrage in this. Oh world. yeah, yeah. You're, you're buy you're, low, uh, sell you high. Buy low, sell high. <laughs> so that spread is what makes you the banker, and it only works if the policy is dividend-paying whole life, if it's a mutually owned company, and if it has non-direct recognition loans, and of course if it was engineered from the start by an advisor who knew what he or she was doing. So. I know that's a long laundry list, but that's why we call this the bank on yourself concept to kind of shorten it down to that that uh, that nickname. Well, let's go into a real example because, uh, you know, I mean, I know people, their eyes are glazing over right now. They're saying, whoa, that was way too deep. But let's give a real example. So I have a business and it's doing fairly well and I want to start putting some money aside for the rainy day that I know is going to rain and I'm going to need cash next Q4, right? I, I got my big payout in January. I'm sitting on a boatload of cash. How do I approach this? Yeah, think about it. Uh, if you have a big bucket of cash and you've put together one of these policies, and thank goodness you didn't have to know all this to design it. You just had to talk to the right advisor who was willing to take a big pay cut and to design it correctly for you. Okay, so you, if, if you didn't remember anything we just went through, just reach out to an advisor that knows you know what he or she is doing and most specifically has been credentialed and authorized to design policies this way, which we can talk about more in a minute, Stephen, if you want. Okay. Um, but yeah, let's talk about a permanent line of credit to your Amazon business, you know, or your eBay business. So if you if you had a an assurance that you had a permanent line of credit to your business, and the next recession comes and banks stop lending, which we all know 
that day will come, right? That's happened every so often years, right? Uh, since we've had banks, since we've had an economy, banks pull those lines of credit just as easily as they offer them. Who will be the one that will take market share? Who will be the most competitive in the industry? If you're the one uh, that has a big pool of capital, whereas everybody else was relying on credit cards, zero interest cards that get cut, lines of credit on their homes, and leveraged up to their eyeballs. Yeah, 100%. This is back to the Warren Buffett thing. He's buying when the market's down, right? There. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Now so tell could, me how to do it. You could even see this as using uh, the policy loan feature to buy your inventory. Now, when you borrow from one of these policies, you have the right to not pay back that loan in the first month, in the first year, in the first five years. You could go your entire lifetime and never pay back the loan. And so what happens when the policy gets executed, when Steve dies, the difference gets taken, correct? That's it. Yep. So okay. remember, this is life insurance. So let's say, you know, you had a million dollar death benefit uh, when you pass away, but you had a $50,000 loan against the policy from all your inventory or other things you were doing with your, your policy, then your family would get $1 million minus the 50000 that's owed to the pool, the insurance company. So your family would have to struggle along on an income tax-free $950,000. So it's truly a risk mitigation right there, because that's one of the big worries, you know, is if you have finance inventory sitting in your books, uh, when your business declines or, you know, when you see they want that money back. And so that inventory right. is going to get scarfed up. In this scenario, you're protecting it. Okay. I love it. Okay. So tell me yeah. how I'm going to get that million-dollar policy. How much is going to cost? How do I build up the cash levels that we're talking about? So one of the things that I uh, want to clearly say to your listeners is this is not just a uh, hop into it without thinking about it. It's not a good fit for everybody. Uh, one of the most important things to remember is that any bank that can open its doors has to have like $10 million at least on their books uh, before they can be registered with the FDIC. And so what I mean by that is if you're going to be your own banker, uh, using this life insurance contract as a tool, you have to save. It still takes saving. It still takes living within your means, which is why it was so important. We talked about that earlier, Stephen. Mm -hmm. um, so don't do this if you're looking for uh, some magic pill or some way to get instant rate of returns or some you know magic where we open up a box and there's a bunch of money in there. It still takes you packing money away, uh, and it could be done through a number of creative ways. Maybe it's a monthly contribution from your profits, Maybe it's a lump sum from your savings or other uh, assets you've already built up. And maybe it starts slow and then you grow from there. But it's, it's every person has a different story here, which is why we offer anyone who uh, would like to consider this strategy. Our firm here offers a free, no obligation consultation with folks just to see if this strategy or other strategies like it would be a good fit to help increase your you know, bottom line and help you toward your journey of financial independence. So it, it's a plan. It takes a plan. So it's not like a faucet that you just turn one way and it's on and you turn the other way, it's off. It's a gradual, you know, let's convert this over. And, well, and then again, there might be a whole bunch of businesses with a huge cash sitting on their books, right? Um, you hear that in the news, right? There's a whole big companies are hoarding cash. So if you're an uh, an e-commerce seller and you're hoarding cash, this might be an option for you to be able to, to be the outlier immediately. But otherwise, it's going to take a plan. Well, is I because we're getting close to the end of our time, I just want to make sure I get this. Is the life insurance owned by the business to make it accessible by this, or is it owned by the individual? Good question. Short answer is it could be both. Okay. All right. So there is a, there's a, there's a, I guess it depends strategy, right? And there's tax reasons that you can do it and there's tax reasons you can't do it. Not that I'm not so smart and I'm not giving tax advice, but I know there are issues out there, right? And there are things that you want to figure out. Um, there's also things you can do if there's a partnership, correct? These, these kind of things can help mitigate some of those issues that come along. That's right. In fact, if you have a partnership, let's say you're an LLC or an S corp uh, of some kind, you can set these policies up even as a warehouse of wealth for your profits and then use it even as a sinking fund for your business partner to buy you out someday and oh. give you a big fat retirement check when you're ready to walk away from this business. And so, you know, I guess, you know, the, the end of this story is that these are things that I don't think most people are, are thinking about, but they're, they want these businesses to become 
long-term businesses, right? They're trying to build a long-term business that has a lot of inventory. Generally, though, most, most Amazon sellers don't have a lot of infrastructure costs, which makes these businesses so awesome. They don't have to build a right. building downtown. They don't have to tie it all up with employees. They don't have to do because they get to use like Amazon or eBay to be that staff, that silent staff, I call them. They never take off. Uh, they're not perfect, but no staff is. But they do all that work for you. This um, can be that missing piece that can can help you make that really long-term business. I mean, it's fascinating to me. And again, it's the reason I, I had you on is because I think this is not normal thinking. I think, as you said earlier, you have to be weird or different. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we're back to that not borrowing money to you know do everything. Therefore, you have no money to spend because you're paying a third of it to the bank. In this scenario... Um, you're building yourself a really long-term, dude. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm definitely more intrigued. So let's uh, let's get through this. How many people, if they are interested in finding it more? And, and again, Steve does not benefit. So let's be clear, uh, Mark. Right? You're not paying yep. me anything or anything like this. I'm intrigued because if somebody is able to do this and really take advantage of it, and they win, we all win. To me, that's the best part of the story. So if somebody's interested in more information, how do they uh, get in touch with you? Well, great. Thank you. Um, yeah, the best way is to simply go to our, if you like this podcast, you'll love our show too, uh, notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. And uh, that, that way you can subscribe, learn more about the strategy through our episodes. There's a button on that website, uh, notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com, that says request a meeting. And you can schedule a 15-minute phone appointment with us. We give you, obviously, a no-pressure chance to meet us, ask any questions that maybe this episode couldn't cover. And if this is a strategy that might make sense or you'd like to learn more, we can schedule a more in-depth conversation with you. In fact, uh, Stephen, if it's okay with you, if folks mention uh, your show or your name in the notes of our appointment, that 15-minute phone appointment, uh, then we will send you a copy of my best-selling book uh, that I co-authored with uh, Danny Stock, uh, who runs an e-commerce group. Uh, it's, the book is called uh, How to Be an Amazon Legend and Fire Your Banker. It was a best-selling book uh, and still remains one of the top sellers on e-commerce. And I'd be happy to send that to your listeners in the United States, physical copy or email, Kindle or PDF anywhere around the world at no cost. Awesome. I will absolutely uh, mention that. And, you know, I, I hope people don't say, Steve, you went short, you cut them off. I just, I think, I think the, and I think you're going to say the same thing. Is there are lots of variables in this thing, and there are lots of circumstances that make uh, that affect every bit of this. And so it's really an individual. It has to be an individual approach. Has to be. I mean, it just makes perfect sense to me that it's an individual approach. Correct. Oh sure. Yeah. Okay. It All it right. must be done after a competent financial consultant sits down and listens to what you're trying to do. Because maybe your goal is something totally different than what we've described here today. If anything has resonated with you on this episode, uh, you might pursue this and des- and see if this is a good fit. But you know, it's it's certainly not uh, general blanket financial advice we'd give just just everybody. That's what you know uh, a one on one advisory consultation is all about. And the advice that fifteen minute call is free, correct? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So that's free. And again, he's uh, he's offering to give you a free book, and it's another podcast to listen to. But again, if you're thinking about this, you know, we, we just got done. Let's go back to the beginning of the call. We talked about how most people, and most people is every person in your circle, right? If you look outside of your e-commerce circle, all your friends, all the people you graduated high school, college with, they all hate their job, and I'm generalizing, but they do. And they're struggling, and they're buying houses they can't afford. They're driving cars they can't afford. I just saw a car loan has an 84-month car loan after putting a down payment. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's seven years. Name a car that lasts seven years that you don't want to replace, right? And so I'm listening to all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And then this comes along. And and again, I don't know if this is the right strategy for you or anyone else. However, it also could get you thinking. And if, if nothing else, after this call, you sit back and you evaluate where you are and you're sitting there saying, this might not be where I, I don't want, I want to be different. I don't want to be in that position like my brother-in-law who's 55 who just lost his job. And now he's thinking about getting another job and starting over again. And you don't want to be in that position. And so um, I'm very excited. And Mark, I, I think you did a great job explaining it um, in terms that even people like me can understand. I, I mean that and I really appreciate that. So... The thing I, I always ask um, 
And I, I think I'm going to ask a little different question. You don't normally ask for what do you do for if you're stuck, how do you get past that in business? But I was thinking about um, if you could close with maybe the top two or three best practices that you have seen either e-commerce or even your other clients can do now to get them their life and their business on the correct path, like top two or three in just a minute or two. Can you give that? You know, uh, keep learning and keep reading. Uh, it might be a generic answer. I love Audible as a uh, uh, sort of a cheater's way to read more books. So that would be a great tip, in my opinion, is to, to expand our horizons, continually learn, and uh, listen to folks and be willing to listen to folks who even maybe you disagree with. Uh, it, it only benefits you if you can um, put yourself into another person's shoes for a few hours uh, in reading a good book or listening to, on Audible. Love it. And that's a, that's a tough one to do because um, I know right. everything. Then again, I don't. Don't, don't so. we all? Don't we yeah. all? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't we all? Hey, thank you so much, man. I wish you nothing but success. Take care. Thank you. And I know I, I kind of got him at the end, you know, trying to, to cut it off um, to stay within the, the timeline because I know this was kind of long. But I, I just, again, it's so individual. Um, and so you're going to get a free book, which is always a good thing. Please read it. Please do something with it. You can't lose by reading a book, even if you disagree with it. You're going to learn something, right? Even better grammar, if that's the case, right? So please... Uh, reach out and get his free book. Yeah, you'll be on his email list and they'll market to you. Okay, that's the cost. But, you know, again, if you benefit, we all win. To me, that's worth it. It's worth every bit because um, I just want nothing but success for anybody who wants it and who needs it. And I think we all do. So uh, great guy, uh, great conversation, uh, super smart. And again, it's non-traditional, but look at what's happening to the traditional stores in your town. Most of mine are closing. So I think uh, you're in a different world by a choice. Um, now, what can you do with it and see if you can be an outlier too? So I'm very excited about that. Send me a note if you are, because that, that'd be awesome to know. EcommerceMomentum.com, EcommerceMomentum.com. Take care. Thanks for listening to the E-Commerce Momentum Podcast. All the links mentioned today can be found at ecommercemomentum.com under this episode number. Please remember to subscribe and like us on iTunes.